Hello and welcome everyone. I'm Annalise. And I'm Sam. You are listening to the Clerks Ignite podcast coming to you from Zoom. As always, our mission is to shape this podcast to the Ignite slogan, which is Think, Make, Ignite. We hope to connect individuals across Clarkson's diverse community and give you interesting and unique content. Our hope is that you can walk away from our episodes learning something new and valuable. For this week's episode, we spoke with Mahesh Bonavar. Mahesh is an associate professor of electrical and computer engineering here at Clarkson. We had him on this week to talk about his current research, which is developing a technology that detects COVID-19 hotspots, and then it creates an alert that is sent to your phone. It was great to have Mahesh on. I know I definitely learned a lot, as I hope you did. Thank you very much, Mahesh, for joining us today. Um, To start, will you just tell us a little bit about your research and how you got started with this project? Sure. Um, First of all, thank you for inviting me. This is certainly super exciting to be uh, on the podcast. And uh, I also would like to thank my collaborators, without whom this wouldn't be happening. So this is uh, faculty at Clarkson. I'm collaborating with Professor Stephanie Shuckers. Uh, and then collaborators at Arizona State University, that would be uh, Andreas Spanius and uh, Jihan Tepidelenlioglu. Uh, then my uh, graduate student here uh, who's working with me is Mona Lisa Achala, and a graduate student at uh, ASU is Gautam Muniraju. So this is the team we're working uh, on this project on. Um, so my research specifically is um, in localization. So what that means is if you want to find a transmitting device somewhere, so that's one application of localization. It's where do you find it, right? Or it could be uh, if you want to find the location of a plane, how do you find it and so on, right? So depending specifically on what you're finding, the techniques change. Um, But one of the most common applications of localization is GPS. So if you go outside uh, and you turn your phone on and you get this location of where you are, um, that's localization. That's, That's finding where you are. Um, GPS works great if you're outside, like, uh, you know, it's, it's a nice open space. Uh, there are not, not too many clouds around and we see it works well. And then the moment we, uh, move into buildings, we get into an extremely cloudy day or we are in a place like New York city where we are surrounded by huge buildings. Um, what we, what happens is we lose a line of sight connection. Uh, that means the satellites are not directly in view of my phone. So what that does is readings get a little corrupted. And then uh, what I where I think I am is no longer where I really am. And errors form. Right? So my work is trying to design algorithms to um, improve the localization performance in these situations. So we've been trying to do uh, things like, what can we do if we have less data? What can we do if we have less reliable data? Is there a way to predict what the corruption is so we can clean up and get better estimates? So that's the sort of direction I've been going with localization. That's really interesting. Yeah. Are there like a lot of legal issues that you've had to run run into? Because I would assume like so, having so, so like I said, a lot, be... so a lot of what I do is algorithm design. So we've been taught. So the kind of stuff we do is if I had Bluetooth access from everyone, what can I do? Right. Okay. So if I had Wi-Fi access from everyone, what I could do. Uh, one of the interesting things in this project that I'm sure we'll talk about a little later is we're actually dealing with uh, people's devices, right? So it's mm-hmm. your phone, 
um, that's that I have to deal with. So that's where a lot of these uh, privacy preserving issues do come in. So, but the core design um, of localization is uh, for the algorithms at least is what can I do with the data that I can get? And then it's a question of how much data can I realistically get without breaking a dozen laws? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's very true. So is this research something that you had started prior to COVID-19 or did it kind of arise with the pandemic? So um, one of the, um, so the, so this localization is one aspect. The other aspect in this project is uh, networking and distributed processing. So we've been talking about um, different phones and how do we network them so we know that they are part of a single cluster rather than um, isolated clusters in different places or just you know, two phones a kilometer apart, in which case they're not really fun, part of a hotspot or cluster. So um, we put these things together and we started working on this uh, COVID-19 um, hotspot research. But each individual piece um, on its own lends to this kind of uh, emergency situation um, research. So for instance, the localization, if we are looking at how to improve localizations in urban areas, if you're looking at how to improve localization in uh, uh, buildings inside a large building, we want to know where you are. So you can imagine uh, an E911 application, right? So you call 911, you the operator wants to know where you are, and information now goes directly from your phone, saying this is the location you're calling from, right, from a cell phone. And one of the problems is if you're indoors or if you're in a place like New York City with tall buildings around you, um, that uh, estimate of your location can be very wrong, right? So there are stories. Gotcha. Uh, there, there was a story from Albany around the time uh, the whole uh, the, the the pandemics really um, picked up in that area in February March, where a student uh, in one of the schools there called for help, but because they but he was not able to communicate clearly, and the location information they got off his phone, they weren't able to find him in time. Right. There was another case in Boston from a couple of years ago where that happened. So there is a lot of interest in this. The FCC is also trying to work with the providers to do exactly this. Right? If I call from a cell phone, how does the provider tell the call center where I am? So there's a lot of inf um, research going on on how to really refine this type of uh, localization. So in emergency situations especially, it's super important to know where you are. Mm -hmm. Now, the networking side of things, we've been looking at distributed algorithms. So that means I have a bunch of, let's say, devices that are doing something. Um, one traditional way of connecting them up is to say, I have a central hub that just listens to all of them, collects all the data together, and does the processing there. Our approach is don't have the central hub, just have all these network devices talk to each other and distribute the load of processing. Uh, so that all the processing happens within the network, right? The advantage of uh, what we are doing is if one or two of these nodes goes down, for whatever reason, right, um, this network will still function. Whereas if you're thinking about the centralized situation, if the central hub goes down, the network's finished. It's not going to work anymore. So if you think about a situation where someone's trying to attack a network or in a more benign case, you have a bunch of people, you're using their phones to do processing, somebody decides to leave that group and just you know go shopping or whatever, right? Your network doesn't collapse. The rest of the devices can still keep working. So when it comes to this kind of hotspot estimation, um, a distributed um, 
a processing scenario like this just made sense, right? That mm. we would look at uh, uh, moving populations, people coming in and people going out, and how would we then manage to still um, keep the processing intact? Well, that's really interesting. Um, so how is the launch of your project going? Like, is it still on launch, track for your January date? Uh, so the launch has been smooth so far. Uh, it just turns mm -hmm. out that there are um, uh, interesting things that happen when you try to combine two different problems. So like I said, so we have the localization problem and then we have the networking problem. And what mm -hmm. we're trying to do is build one on top of the other. So we want to know uh, where people, where these uh, hotspots are, which means we need to know where the individuals are, which we do through their devices. Uh, we also want to know um, how many are clustered in that area. So, so, and we want to do it in a distributed fashion. So we have these different layers to this problem. And one of the very interesting things uh, that we are having uh, to do part of this is um, how do we deal with the, all the processing that's needed and so on, mm. right? So the launch though has been smooth. We're having regular meetings with the team, uh, the entire team with the faculty and the student researchers. Uh, we are working on algorithms to solve, to look at these multiple-layered multiple problem. We have um, also been looking at one of the uh, issues that uh, Sam brought up, which was uh, what do you do with the privacy and laws and things like that. So we have mm -hmm. been trying to uh, keep privacy preserving within the algorithm. Right? So what happens gotcha. if we don't have permission for something? In that case, how do we tweak our algorithm and so on? And so we've been brainstorming those ideas and we've also been developing a user interface. That's really cool. It sounds like stressful work, but <laughs> definitely much needed. Yeah, it's uh, fun when you when you enjoy doing it, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's a challenge, definitely. And it is um, a lot of um, complicated... Um, uh, algorithms, design of mm -hmm. algorithms, of course. But that's the reason we do it, right? I mean, mm -hmm. if it was simple, then we wouldn't have a problem. <laughs> um, so it's stressful, yes, because it's a lot of work, but it's also fun. But we certainly enjoy doing it. Good. That's awesome. Um, so what do you think is the biggest challenge that you've encountered in this? In the past two months? <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, maybe, we should, maybe we should ask this again in February. <laughs> but uh, but seriously, um, we, 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 we take a theoretical algorithm design. And we talked about that early on with the localization. Mm -hmm. So we take theoretical algorithm design. Um, these work well when there is no noise. These work well when we don't have limited data. These work well when we assume we have all the processing power we need. And then mm -hmm. we try to put these on phones uh, that are noisy. The processing power is low. Um, the data gets corrupted in many different ways. So it's about how do you take these algorithms and how do you make them still work uh, and get something meaningful out of it? So that's, mm -hmm. I think, the current biggest challenge we're working with. And it's just, you know, implementation of uh, some very interesting looking algorithms. Mm -hmm. So a lot of problem solving. <laughs> yeah, lots of challenges, um, which is good, right? Lots of challenges means lots of opportunities to do fun things. Mm -hmm. How are you testing 
Because I know you have to test so, what you're developing. So. Mm-hmm. so our testing is going to be in two stages. Um, as we build our algorithms where we have a simulation platform that we use, uh, where we have uh, where we simulate uh, different uh, levels of devices. So we have some devices that give us full access, so to speak. We simulate that. So we get location information from mm-hmm. them. If we need Wi-Fi, we get the Wi-Fi data. If we need Bluetooth, we simulate the Bluetooth data. Right? Then we have another, and when, then we simulate another set of devices where we get something a little less. Right? So, for example, if you think about what you might do on your cell phone, you don't keep location on all the time because you don't want to be tracked and it consumes a lot of your battery. You may not keep Bluetooth on all the time because it consumes a lot of battery and so on. Right? So we are simulating these different levels of access to different level, different levels of information that we can get from devices. So we start with the highest level where we get everything, some devices where some parts are removed, other devices where other parts are removed. Uh, and then on the simulation platform, we're trying to find apply our algorithms. Right? Um, the main things that we're doing are um, how many groups do we have? So just because I sense a hundred devices in the vicinity in whatever area I'm scanning, doesn't mean all the hundred are forming a single hotspot, right? It could be two hotspots of 50, it could be uh, 10 hotspots of 10 devices, or it just could be 20 family gatherings of five people each, in which case it's not an issue anymore, right? So we need to Mm -hmm. first get into that level of figuring out uh, how tight these uh, hotspots are or how tight these clusters are. And once we do that, then it becomes a question of what area do they cover, how many devices in that area, so what's now the density, and is that density exceeding um, safety parameters? Are we now having too many people in a small space, or is it a small group in a small space, or it's a small group in a large space? Right. So we have, again, mm-hmm. different gradations of risk that we need to um, simulate, and then we need our simulations to catch them. And so that's stage one. In stage two, what we're doing is, what we will do, we haven't started this, is um, use a cell phone data, actually. Right? So we have a um, lot of ways to capture from cell phones, Bluetooth traces, Wi-Fi traces, and location information. And again, permission-specific uh, things. Right? So if you have Bluetooth on in scanning mode, then it's free data for everyone. Right? So if you have Bluetooth on on your phone, and you are scanning to make a connection with someone, which usually is the case if you're not already paired, then anyone with a Bluetooth receiver can see not only um, your Bluetooth signal, they can get your Mac ID out of it, they can get the name of your uh, device out of it, and they can also get your uh, transmit strength, right? which is a lot of useful information. Uh, similarly with Wi-Fi, if you've connected to a hotspot, then from the router, you can get similar information. The, the MAC ID, the name of your device, and the uh, transmit strength, or the receive strength from your transmitter at the hotspot, right? So, um, so we are trying to do these things where we're saying somebody has forgotten to turn off Bluetooth or somebody has turned on Bluetooth specifically to help. Um, if uh, I don't know if you remember, but uh, I think it was last week, the state of New York released the uh, contact tracing app. And that app has uh, the same type of Bluetooth permission that's needed. So if you want to use the app, you need to turn on Bluetooth so that if you're within the vicinity of another user with Bluetooth, it kind of makes that link and says, hey, you were within X feet of somebody, right? So if that somebody has a threatened exposure, then they can contact you and say, we know you were within Bluetooth distance of that person. So now you're exposed. You're potentially exposed. 
right? So uh, what we are trying to do is take that a little step further and say, not only um, just telling me what's happening, but kind of build a dashboard and say, here are the places where we have not two people within Bluetooth range, but let's say 50 people, all of them within Bluetooth range of each other. And that kind of sets off alarm bells saying, why is this crowd over there? Okay. Really so, are there a lot of are there a lot of issues? Because I obviously don't know the technicality behind it all, but um, wh whether you're developing it for like iOS or Android, or are you just is it like a blanket algorithm that can be applied to either one? That's a great question. So, um, one of the great things about the way the uh, the operating systems are headed is privacy preserving, which is not so good for us when we're doing this research because everything they're trying to hide, we want access to. <laughs> yeah. So um, uh, it's it's a great thing that um, there is so much uh, privacy preserving um, processes put in place in the operating systems. I think in general, that's good. Uh, so what happens is to answer your question, uh, what happens is um, the information we get may not be, um, may not be exactly what we think we're getting. So one of the uh, simpler things that is embedded into the Bluetooth um, protocol now is that when scanning, the MAC ID that you pick up is not the real MAC ID of the device. And it changes each time the Bluetooth scans. So that means if I were to scan and I get a MAC ID, and let's say that's coming off one of your phones, uh, I scan and I get a MAC ID and then I make a note and say, okay, I was near this, this device, so that was the MAC ID. Right? With the hope that if I see that Mac ID again, I can link back to you and say, hey, I've seen this phone before, right? Except when I come back and rescan, even though it's the same device, the Mac ID has changed. So that's a great mm -hmm. way to obfuscate who is where and preserve privacy, right? So um, that is, those are some of the challenges that we have to deal with, which is um, how, real, how realistically do we need, do we believe that we can actually narrow down the identity of a user when the user does not want to share identity. So if the user is willing to share identity, then it's a different ballgame entirely, right? So you would tell me, this is your device, and these are, the these are the various details about it, and then you would pair with me and get that information. But it's when you have a stray Bluetooth signal that we're trying to find out. Okay. Now, in terms of Android versus iOS, different things are done differently. So, but Bluetooth, for instance, we can see off both devices. Um, Wi-Fi, they do things a little bit differently. Uh, location, of mm -hmm. course, is uh, completely user-defined. If I want to share location, I will. If I don't want to, I don't. So, um, slight variations on both of them, things that we have to account for when we get into that hardware testing stage. Uh, but right now, we're assuming that when something is shared, at least in the simulation stage, we know how to get it. Interesting. Okay. Makes sense. So we know that you're partnered with Arizona State University. What brought you to that partnership? Oh, um, this is mostly a history lesson. I went to graduate school there. Um, and so the collaborators at uh, ASU, the faculty collaborators there, um, were my PhD advisors, um, and they have been mentors for me throughout my academic career. Uh, so we, of course, have been in touch with so this is the kind of work we do. This is the kind of work you do uh, situation. So when this uh, opportunity came about, it just felt like a good opportunity to uh, pull our resources together and uh, work together once more on a project. And it just it came together well that way. 
That's awesome. It's nice that in the day of technology, you can partner with someone that's in a completely different state and still work on research together. Yeah, I oh, bet yeah. that's been yeah, kind of weird. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, it, it, it's it's not as weird as me having to be on Zoom to talk to you now because you are like, what, mm-hmm. a five-minute walk <laughs> away from me? <laughs> uh, but uh, in terms of collaborating long distance, it's always uh, an interesting thing. Uh, and you did, and remember, we, we did talk about this just a, a few minutes back when we were talking about uh, how the launch is going and so on. Uh, just being able to do a video conference once a week, it's it helps with the, how the progress of how the research is able to progress that's a great thing mm-hmm. so do you think that research has been more difficult or a little bit easier now that we're mostly virtual with a lot of things uh it depends on the different aspects of the research right so if you're talking about the uh, some things that we took for granted right so um I would always take for granted the fact that I could just walk down to my lab and talk to my students I can't mm-hmm. do that now, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that we would take for granted is uh, if a student had a simple question to ask, it was just a question of waiting for me to come to the lab or just coming to my office, like two minutes for, you know, I'm having trouble with this. Do you have any ideas? Now mm-hmm. everything is an one-hour Zoom meeting, right? And all the yeah. effort that goes behind scheduling it and finding a time for it and matching calendars and all of that. So in terms of that, I feel that, we are getting less productive and spending more time doing things that we really shouldn't have to. Um, but at mm-hmm. the same time, uh, if you think about opportunities for collaboration, um, more people are open to doing it over video conferencing now um, because it became kind of the norm in February, March. So now more people are open to doing it. A great thing that came out of it for um, me and um, our uh, department, the ECE department, was seminars, right? We, it, because Potsdam is remote, we had it was a struggle to get external speakers to come and do seminars. Uh, this mm-hmm. semester, we have a whole lot of speakers because everybody is virtual, right? So it used to be that getting somebody to do a virtual seminar before was, why don't you get someone in person? It's so much more interesting to have them on campus, right? And that made sense because you could then talk to them and you could network with them in a meaningful way. Uh, but now that the norm suddenly switched to everything being remote, uh, we're just able to get more speakers. And that is great for the department because our seminar series is so much more vibrant now. So uh, yeah, pros and cons <laughs> to working remotely. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm glad that you're still able to like do all your research and collaborate with different people and all that stuff. It's really good because I know there's some research that you really need to be in a lab for. So, Yeah, I, I agree with you. And a lot of uh, doing algorithm design gives me the flexibility to be wherever I want um, so long as I have mm-hmm. the processing power with me to run those algorithms. Yeah. <laughs> so getting back to your research a little bit, um, what is like your overall like dream of what this is going to look like? So um, it's still a little early, uh, but what we are um, anticipating this would be uh, is twofold. Uh, one is a direct um, warning if mm-hmm. you're getting close to a hotspot. So you're driving um, and let's say you have a bunch of people, there's an, there's an authorized gathering on Hansfield, you're driving up the road and then you say, hey, be careful, there's something going on there, 
right? So oh. that's kind of proximity alert system that is one aspect of it. The other aspect of it that we've been um, working on is uh, a dashboard that you can access off the internet. So if you have a planned event, so I want to plan to go to Price Chopper this afternoon, but um, or wherever else for shopping this afternoon, um, and this dashboard is going to tell me, well, maybe 2 p.m. to 3 p.m. isn't the best time to go. You may want to go at 11 a.m. because there are fewer people there. So that's kind of the twofold aspect that we're looking at. One is a real-time warning of, in your proximity, be careful, versus if you want to go to this public place, avoid these times. That's so it's really kind cool. of like it's kind of like um, the feature that like Google Maps has about traffic. Like if you're going to travel somewhere, they say, well, it doesn't tell you when to leave, but it, you can it'll like redirect you if um, uh, there's traffic in a certain area or something like that. So I yeah, that's kind actually, of what I got from what you just said. Yeah, that's a very interesting overlay on this that uh, would be helpful. Right, so redirecting uh, your uh, driving, well, maybe not driving, driving may not be that much of an issue, but if you're walking, redirecting mm. your walking path um, to keep you from getting into crowds. I think that's, that's a great idea, yeah. I think this is really cool because I know that even like for me going grocery shopping, I'm like, okay, is now a good time to go to Walmart? Or is it gonna be like packed? So like having the comfort of just knowing that you can like go on your phone and it'll like let you know, I think that's really cool. And I think that a lot of people will utilize that. Yeah, and add to that uh, density, right? If you have mm -hmm. a big store, then a larger group is okay because they'll be spread. You would assume that they would be spread in the, in the store so you don't have groups forming. But if it's the same mm -hmm. number of people in a smaller store, then you have to be a little more wary. So those are, yeah. so that's why density becomes important, right? So hotspot isn't just having 10 people. It's having 10 people in a very small area. So uh, that's one of the, again, one of the challenges we're looking at. How do we do a meaningful estimate of density in order to call something mm. a hotspot? Close proximity, yeah. That makes sense. Are you sort of utilizing different, like, state guidelines to help you with that, or? Um, right now, it is just confusing. Right? The guidelines, at least. We have so many yeah. coming from so many places. And I hate to say it, it's become political. Right? Yeah. So um, we're it's trying true. to right now just um, get our algorithms to work. Uh, and the uh, thresholds of what is safe and what's not can always be changed. As uh, mm -hmm. the science, uh, as the, you know, as the virus is better understood, as the science evolves, then we can make those adjustments. If we get the basic algorithm working, then it's just a question of where do you trigger an alarm? So that's not, mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. um, eventually, yes, we will be looking into um, what guidelines there are um, and tuning our algorithm finally. But I think the first stage we are at right now is just to get it to work. Yeah, but this is really awesome. And, you know, maybe we'll have to have you back on next semester so we can get more updates. Yeah, I think um, so. For sure. Yeah, because yeah. I'd love I'd be to, happy to be back I'd on. love to hear how this continues. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Because yeah, okay. I think that's all I had as far as questions. But It was great to be on. It was great to talk to you. And yes, I would absolutely love yeah. to be back next semester to talk more about the progress we've been making. Yeah, definitely. Awesome, definitely. Yeah, I'm really excited to like hear about your next stages and everything. Thank you.
Thanks for listening. This has been Sam. And Annalise. We'll catch you next time.